0: Let me introduce our fantastic guests. We have from Mexico, Lydia Cacho Cacho is an award-winning investigative journalist and activist. She's the author of an incredible book, Slavery Inc, the untold story of international sex trafficking. She's been jailed, she's been threatened, she's been brutalised for her courageous work. She was named World Press Freedom Hero in 2010. And she's also the founder of a high-security shelter for women, girls and Boys amidst all this. Incredible. Welcome, Lydia. Sweden, We have, and some of you might have been at her session yesterday. Kaiser Ekus Ekman is author of Being and Being Bought, Prostitution, Surrogacy and the Split Self. She's also the author of Debt as a Weapon, the Euro Crisis, seen from Athens. She writes for a Swedish daily newspaper. She's on the editorial collective of an anarchist magazine called Brand. And she was a co-founder of a network called Feminists Against Surrogacy and the Climate Action Group, Climax. If you can hold hold your applause, I'll get straight to Alyssa <laughs> Nutting, is author of the short story collection Unclean Jobs for Women and Girls and also of uh, this confronting novel, Tampa, uh, about a young female teacher who's a pedophile. Uh, it's really potent read. Alyssa is Assistant Professor of Creative Writing and English Literature at John Carroll University. Thanks for being here. And we also have from London, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Pisani. She is a long-time foreign correspondent. She's turned herself into an epidemiologist along the way, specialising in HIV, AIDS. She's always been a gutsy globetrotter, though, in both her roles. She's author of The Wisdom of Whores, Bureaucrats, Brothels, and The Business of AIDS, and also more recently the book Indonesia, etc. Welcome. Uh, Let's just pose the question Are women for sale? Lydia.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. They are in different ways and different um, extents, in, uh, depending on the country, depending on the cultural values of the community. Uh, some women are for sale in marriages, for example, everywhere around the world in different um, ways by their parents. And some women um, are taught into selling their bodies. And they are, they are um, taught. Um, everywhere around in their community to become objects, and some understand that. Some get away uh, from that idea of being an object, and some stay there and internalize uh, being um, objectified all their lives. And and, you know, go with it. So it's, it's quite complex and we'll get into the complexities. We will it. indeed. And you've, of as
0: part of your work, been following very in closely the sex slave trade. Predominantly women at the heart of that, but both men and women, girls and boys, are affected.
1: Absolutely, and I sp- I've specialised for, for almost 20 years in, in trying to understand and investigate uh, child pornography and, of course, uh, pedophilia and what it means and how it is linked to child abuse in women and men and how they can become abusers when they are adults and how they normalise violence. So, yes, I think it's quite quite a complex issue and I'm really glad I'm with such an array of experts and thank you.
0: Kaiser, are women for sale? Um, No,
2: what do you mean? (laughs) Um, Yes, actually I like the, the passive wording of this because I would rather discuss the buying, you know, who's doing the buying. Because in all this debate about, you know, whether it be prostitution or surrogacy, we tend to focus on the seller, you know, who is that, why is she doing it and so on. Coming from the Swedish perspective where we since 99 have a law that criminalizes the purchase of sex and not the selling, you know, I would more like to focus on who's doing the buying? Who's buying all these women? Well, mainly it's men, especially in the prostitution industry. Now, I've written about the surrogacy industry, which I think is prostitution's little sister. It's very recent. It's coming up now and it's growing all over the place. And. Um, You know, as before, as long as you had a vagina, you were were potentially sellable. Now, if you have a uterus, you can sell that too. So to all the poor women, the working class women in the world who don't have another way of getting out of poverty, they're saying, well, you you can just become a surrogate and sell your uterus, and that's not immoral you know, in the same way that people think prostitution is immoral. So, um, and I think both of these industries commodify the female body in different ways. You know, you tend, uh, you're taught to look at your body like it's um, just a collection of different pieces that you can market and not as, you know, a self, that is a totality and the fact that the body is actually the self. You can't hand over your uterus or your vagina and walk away. I mean, you're there when it happens.
0: But the question of who's doing the buying is, is interesting, but so is the question of who is doing the selling because that gets to the heart of the question of agency, doesn't it? And who's in control of this action? And we'll come back to you, Lydia, on that. But Kaiser,
2: um, Well, I think you have to study capitalism to understand that the power of markets and the power of buying and selling, obviously the person who has the money has the power. I don't think that's <laughs> news to anyone. we
0: will come back on that. Alyssa, mm-hmm. are women for sale from your perspective?
3: Yes, and, and I, I think you make a great point about the power, which can certainly be derived from money, but, but in just sort of the discord that we see between male social power and female social power, um, I, I think sort of the, uh, the selling gets a, a bit trickier, right, um, on, on behalf of women. I wrote a novel about a female sexual predator, um, and, and I think that we're so used to seeing women as powerless um, in, in terms of sexual action um, that, that oftentimes we fail to even, you know, conceive of women as having the ability to be sexually predatory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I say yes, and, and I say that, that the power dynamic is, is kind of what is troubling for me. I don't think that, that you know, if we're talking about, you know, the, the buyers, if we're talking about the sellers as having agency, if they are women, I don't think that women have that equal agency that, say, ma- men do. Mm.
4: Elizabeth Pisani, your perspective. Of course women are for sale, so are men. We live in a capitalist society Mm -hmm. and we sell ourselves to the highest bidder. I sell myself on two fronts. I'm an epidemiologist. If anyone would like to discuss my day rates, I'd be very happy to talk to you. (laughs) I'm also an author, and for that you'll have to talk to my pimp, the literary agent Andrew Wiley, who takes between 10 and 20 percent of my income. Yes, obviously, we're for sale. Um, I'm also on the, the... Selling side of the equation I discovered um, because i uh, I am a sex trafficker i I, um, I was working for the T. Marie's Ministry of Health. They had asked me to, just shortly after um, independence, and they'd asked me to look at what was going on with uh, HIV and STIs, and we set up the first um, study of uh, STIs in in high-risk groups, including sex workers. And I heard a report on the ABC, actually, um, which said, UN uh, workers. Uh, there was a huge UN presence then, obviously, just after independence. UN workers are consuming underage girls in brothels that have been trafficked from Southeast Asia into East Timor to serve their needs. And. You know, I visited every brothel in, in East Timor. There were not that many of them, um, and I chatted to Thai girls, and I chatted to Vietnamese girls, and they were, you know, mostly saying, can you believe this? These plonkers from the UN, they're spending $50 just on a blowjob! job, hallelujah. Um, but I hadn't find, found anyone who was, I hadn't found anyone underage or anyone who was talking about, you know, being trafficked or, or not wanting to do their work. So I asked the UN cops, I said, you know, what's going, yeah, there's lots of rumours and we'll get back to you with the facts. And then they never did. Mm -hmm. then I left the country, came back again a couple of months later, and on the plane, I was chatting with um, three Chinese girls who were coming um, on three-month contracts to sell sex to um, the Chinese community in Timor. And they were chuffed that they got the job because the person who had it before them had come home and been able to buy a car, and that was great. And they didn't speak any Indonesian or any uh, English, and so I was helping them with their paperwork, you know, to fill in their visa forms and whatever. And the next day, I ran into this friend of mine again and said, oh, we've actually got some concrete reports for you. You still interested in that trafficking thing? Yeah, no, we've got some. um, Actually, it's it's a really interesting story because it involves a a UN worker. some white woman. We haven't been able to identify her yet, um, but she was, uh, but we've got a report of her trafficking in uh, three uh, Chinese sex workers. Uh, She was dealing with all their paperwork, and I was like, oh, okay, well. Now, I'm a sex trafficker. I could know that person. But, <laughs> um, but, what's, but what's interesting about that for me is that now, I didn't hear an ABC report about that, but it could very well have made one. Because anecdotes become rumours, become stories, become news reports, become facts. And so, I mean, no one is, is denying for a second that, that trafficking, you've done a lot of good work on it, you know, that trafficking exists and that we need to actually try and, and wipe out the worst forms of harm. But if we conflate uh, a legitimate business of selling, it's, it's not, I, in my opinion, in my opinion, um, there's nothing inherently degrading about having sex. In my opinion, there's nothing inherently degrading about selling things, and therefore, I don't think there's anything inherently degrading about selling sex. But I do think that the most dangerous idea in this room is the idea that because someone chooses to do something that other people disapprove of for a living, they're no longer allowed to have a voice. We're not going to hear from you, darling, because you don't even know how brutalized you are. And because of that, I'd actually like to give this seat over to someone who does sell sex for a living, my colleague, Jules. So if you'll come and take the mic. Thank you.
0: Um, Stay on the stage, though. Stay on the stage. Come on. Yep, I want Elizabeth to stay on the stage, though. Yep. Do we have a spare chair kicking around? Sorry, what was your name? Let me just my mic Jules, back on and are you with Scarlet Alliance? Oh. Okay, let's get a chair for Elizabeth. Yep. Welcome, just Jules. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, but I'll come back to you, but I want Elizabeth to come back. You I'm are coming, not I'm scooting off. I'm coming, I'm
2: just my <laughs> You're being paid for this. <laughs> you are not scooting <laughs> off. Yeah.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Come back Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. not starting until you're here.
1: Yeah. I, ain't Come it. On. I agree. <laughs> I'm trying to pick
0: myself up here. Cheeky thing. Now I know what you meant when you said what you said. Anyway, welcome. Thanks for joining us. So, you, have, you you don't deny that the sex slave trade is existing, but some would say that you deny the scale of it. So let me come back to, because I've,
4: I've read that you've said that... Let's uh, just look at the figures in Australia. Just here in Australia, right? So you hear people who are, you know, self-appointed brothel busters saying one woman is trafficked in Sydney every day. And you think, OK, so that's 365 a year. The cops, the federal cops in Australia have looked at, For nearly 400, not quite 400 cases of trafficking of all types, over the last 10 years, and in that time, they've got 16 convictions. So I'm going to come to Lydia now. So either the cops are shit.
0: I also am terrible with names, so you need to say your name again for me. Jules Kim. Sorry, Jules because uh, I am crap with names and I can ask people five times and I still forget. Yeah. Lydia, let's come to this, the scale of this industry that you've been investigating very closely. You've put your life on the limb to climb inside this business. Yeah. What is driving the business of sex slave uh, trade, that that trade? What is driving, what is at
1: the heart of that? I guess it's, it's a lot of things. Uh, one of them, obviously, is the clientele, the clients, um, are looking for younger and younger women everywhere. And um, in, I, I investigated around the world all the networks that are exploiting girls, underage girls. I've, I have evidence of networks and hard evidence, by the way, I just want to clarify this yeah. because of what you just said and it's important to clarify this, um, of a group of traffickers that had only at one time in a very fancy hotel in Cancun 200 children. Being sexually exploited, and um, we have all their names. We have videos. We have photographs, and I publish a book regarding this. And uh, when we discovered the extent of the quantity of girls and boys that only these small groups of uh, of traffickers, and businessmen and politicians uh, had exploited over the um, like a six-year period, it was up to 1,000 kids. Mm-hmm. Only one small group. Um, so I'm um, talking about girls. Right now I'm going to talk. I'm, I'm only speaking about underage girls, like under 16. Uh, what we see is that um, we find more and, more and more men around the world looking for younger women in prostitution in Mexico. There's a couple of studies that, that Proof that um, most of the clients are looking for women that are under 25 years old. And a prostitute that is older than 30 is, like, too old to be in the business. So they don't earn enough money to stay there. So they are in more dangers because they, they have to go to certain areas in which they are uh, more exposed to more violence instead of being in the areas in which they are supposed to be protected by the police that, by the way, of course, is... is uh, part of the the business is protecting them on one hand and on the other hand is making money off of them. Yeah, I mean those connections that you've documented are
0: phenomenal, aren't they? This
1: is the mafia, the governments,
0: it's at every layer of society that is driving this industry.
1: That's sexism, uh, patriarchal system, um, machism, of course. We're talking about Latin America in particular. And then I have, um, um, with my investigations, I have linked this with pornography, uh, with specifically with child and teen pornography. And this is, some of, uh, this is one of the issues that apparently a lot of people want to take out of this tremendously complex discussion of, of um, forced sex and sex trafficking. And it has to do with how they trained they trained girls and teenagers to, to be exposed to sex, to certain kind of sex. And I, of course, have to say that I, I think also that sex is wonderful and we should all have a chance <laughs> to, you know, to enjoy sex and eroticism in the most open and, and delightful way. But, uh, but I'm against violence against women. In, and I think, I've, 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 ex- I've seen so many, I've documented so many, so many cases of but extreme you think, violence. Do you think uh,
0: by virtue of a woman selling sex uh, through prostitution or otherwise, is that a violent act? Is that, is that implicit in that, not the selling of it, but is implicit in the fact that she is uh, doing that? Is there violence attached to that? It depends on the context.
1: That. You know, this is a tricky question, and I would be delusional if I said that every woman, adult woman, that is selling sex, is doing it happily and is safe because she's selling sex. If I, Lydia Cacho, the famous journalist, that it's safe, want to go out and maybe pick someone in the audience and have sex with him, and probably then ask him to give me five hundred dollars, I would be very safe doing that. But that is my context, right? And I have a certain kind of power here to do that. So, um, on all the cases that I've documented, most of the women have no choice. So, when you do not have real chances, then what kind of choice are you making? I'm, I'm not for raiding um, uh, shelters, I mean, the, these shelters that are going and taking adult women from brothels, and I think that's a big discussion we mm. usually have. But when I'm talking uh, underage girls, absolutely, you, ha- you, you take them out and then you help them go through what, um, you know, like developing the, their own personality and everything, and then when they decide what to do with their body, it's all right, okay. but they deserve a chance to have the possibility to decide.
0: So you, Kaiser, have a much more clear-cut vo- view on this, don't you?
2: Much more Kirka than who?
0: (laughs) When it comes to the sale of sex, you don't necessarily think of this as the sale of a service.
2: No, well, I think we have to go back to the original question you know, is a world without prostitution possible? You know, and I definitely think it is, or with much less prostitution. As a matter of fact, Most men don't pay for sex, Uh, even in the countries like Germany where, you know, one in four men is paying for sex, that's never a majority, it's never more than 50%. And I think that's very interesting, most men don't do that, why don't they do that, you know? And what is free sexuality? Well, to me, that would be really a free sexuality, meaning that you don't pay each other. Um, I define prostitution as sex between two people, one person that wants it and one person that doesn't. That is the basis of prostitution everywhere. Um, if you have two people uh, that want each other, that are very excited, horny and so on, you know, and that meet each other in whatever context, um, they usually don't have to pay each other because they both want, both want it the same way. If you, on the other hand, have two people and nobody wants to have sex, of course there is no sex, right? So um, the basis of prostitution is that criteria has to be present, that one person wants it and the other person doesn't and, Instead of um, the mutuality, there is the payment. So, and if you look at who these two people are, you see worldwide, uh, there is a pattern. It isn't just any two people. Um, The person that is paying is generally a man. Of course, there are women paying for sex too, but there are so few that they don't even enter into the percentage. It would be like zero point something. Although I know you hear these stories about women going to Africa and so on, you know, it's very interesting for the media to take that up. But looking at statistics, it doesn't really happen that much. Um, Second, the person that's doing the paying is generally kind of well off. You know, he has a house, often he has a family, Uh, he has a wife, he has a job, he's okay with his life. You know, if you're looking at the other hand of the person doing the selling, you see there's a difference in, you know, all categories. She's generally a woman, although of course, as we all know, there are men, boys, transgender people that also sell sex. Um, She's generally younger than him, Uh, there's generally a difference there. Um, She's generally from uh, a poorer background, another country. Um, If we're looking at, for example, the European prostitution, look at, for example, Holland, where they have legalized prostitution. They don't sell their own women. They sell women from the third world to uh, British tourists or American tourists or Dutch men as well. So um, there is a big difference here. I would usually say that inequality between men and women, I mean, that exists in, you know, all sorts of things. So you would see, the difference would be this, you know, men are here, women are here. In prostitution, you have this big inequality because there is a difference in all these categories. Without that, prostitution would not happen. Um, Like, you don't go, if you're a man and you want, you know, to pay for sex, you don't go to your colleague in the government and say, I wanna pay you for sex. You know, you don't do that, you're not stupid. Like, you know where to find it. Um, So I think, you know, the fight against prostitution is the fight against inequality also between men and women. And you know, I'm looking for a world where we could just you know, enjoy sex because we want it, not because we're coerced, because we're convinced by someone, persuaded, feel guilty that we should do it because he was very nice to us or something like that, or because we're paid. And sorry, I'm talking very much, but I would just like to add that um, in Sweden, since we passed the law, the results are amazing. Of course, I wouldn't say that like, we don't have so just prostitution. So to remind
0: people, this is a law against the
2: buying of sex, not the selling yeah, of I sex. Yeah, I mean in Sweden you can sell sex anywhere. You can stand outside of school. You can stand outside of church. Like there is no crime such as the selling of sex. The crime is the buying of sex. Uh, you would pay a fine or if you do it a lot or with underage, you go to jail as well. And uh, the point of that is that prostitution is incompatible with equality between men and women. So of course it's still happening. I wouldn't say like it's completely gone. But it's not present like in the society and if you look at like young boys, the way they're growing up, they look at paying for sex as the most pathetic thing to do. Um, They see like you're paying for sex like you're a loser, like you're very ugly or you can't get it or something, you know. That's not cool at all. So, Jules, I didn't get to
0: introduce you properly. So, you are with the Scarlet Alliance. For the benefit of the audience, tell us a bit about what Scarlet Alliance is, briefly, and then I'll come to you on some of the themes that we've discussed so far. Sure.
5: Okay. Scarlet Alliance is the Australian Sex Workers' Association. Uh, Our membership is made up of um, sex worker projects and organisations and individual sex workers from around Australia. Um, Owners, managers, anybody who... um, work isn't a sex worker, um, is excluded from membership of of Scarlet Alliance because the um, interests of managers and owners and clients are very different from from that of sex workers. So, uh, we um, represent sex worker issues to government. I I myself sit on the Commonwealth Roundtable of Trafficking. um, So, I'm, and had also done uh, major trafficking, the largest trafficking research in Australia with the Australian Institute of Criminology. So, I'd like to address some of these
0: points that were addressed today. So, why do you sit on that committee? Um, As a sex worker yourself,
1: yeah, why,
5: yeah.
0: why have you elected to sit on that committee?
5: Because the issue of trafficking has been conflated so much with sex work. It's done, um, you know, sex workers, migrant sex workers in particular, uh, have been the most impacted by anti-trafficking interventions. And this is a, a big problem, this conflation, because it it doesn't help sex workers and it doesn't help trafficking victims. So, in in fact, it's causing problems across the board. And just to be clear, what's called a trafficking investigation currently is that you'll have, um, you know, maybe five or six police officers come into your workplace, immigration, and they'll ask to see your documents and um, they'll, you know, um, check to, to see your visa compliance and sex industry compliance. And somehow amongst that, you're supposed to feel safe enough to go to these people for support, you know, it's, it's, it's a system that doesn't work to actually having police coming into your workplace. Incredibly disruptive as well for, it's a business. At the end of the day, it is a business and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you wouldn't find that, that happening in any other. Um,
0: so, are, are you mobile. the only sex worker on that committee? Because the, the, yes. the so do you feel you can represent um, sex workers who are, have been subject yeah. to the sex slave yes. trade, who are suffering yeah. because of it? Uh, given that you're an activist on behalf of sex sex workers coming from the position that you're an agent in control of your body and your business. I'm glad you asked. So can you (laughs) you represent their needs though and their vulnerabilities?
5: Well, the migration project of which I'm the manager is uh, actually led by migrant sex workers, many of whom had experienced exploitation or had come to Australia for contract for work conditions, you know. And so when I'm talking, I'm not talking about my opinions, but actually what I'm representing is the view of many migrant sex workers for many reasons. who can't stand up in front of you and say, I'm a sex worker and I've got a voice, I've got an opinion. Um, For whatever reason, maybe family, I mean, there's such huge stigma and discrimination as well um, so that many people don't feel safe in this environment where our right to be sex workers is being denied, to be able to stand up and say, I'm a sex worker. And so it is, it's not just my point of view, it is actually the point of view of, of, of many people. So,
0: so Kaiser just said, and I do want to move the conversation sure, on, sure. we're not going to make sure. the whole conversation about <laughs> sex work, just so you know that. Yeah. So, but, but Kaiser said, um, made a strong statement that she believes that prostitution is incompatible with equality between men and women. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts about that?
5: Well, I, I mean, was, uh, so, many
0: inaccuracies from what she just said. I don't even know where to start. From your your perspective though, (laughs) that particular point Um, though.
5: Can can I just clarify though the Swedish model doesn't criminalise just the buyers of sex, it criminalises everybody around us. You know, so talking to Swedish sex workers, they feel incredibly isolated because, th- you, you know, you can't lease a house to a sex worker because you can be charged with pimping. An adult son living with a, um, a sex worker and not paying rent was actually
0: jailed for pimping.
5: You know, so we've just gotten this, you know, uh, really, it's highly okay. problematic.
0: so, but I want you to answer that question. Yeah. Is, is well, prostitution th- incompatible with equality between Absolutely men and not. women? absolutely Why? not
2: because
5: it's it's my it's my body it's my choice and you, you have to understand as well it's not just selling off parts of ourselves it is you know it, like any other job it is, you know, there is a range of skills involved. Do you split yourself off,
0: though, when you are in
5: a transaction? No, it just in the same way as are you the same person at home as you are when you're playing your work role? No. Do you know what I mean? It's the same thing. Totally it's the different. same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the same, you know. It's, it's no different. It's, it's a job, you know, okay. and it's a job that I've chosen to do and um, I consider myself a feminist and, um, you know, mm. and absolutely I think, you know, the right to choose my, my occupation is definitely in line with ideals of feminism. Why? Why? Because I mean, dictating what people can and can't do and choices that we can and and can't make, I think is an incredibly dangerous path to go down. You know, obviously criminality and exploitation is a different thing, but I'm talking about consensual adult sex work. It's a very different issue.
0: And it's so interesting, the debates around, um, and I'm aware, Alyssa, we're going to move away from the sex work so I can weave you in, but do you have a perspective, as you're sitting in the middle of this...
3: I know, it's uh,
0: (laughs) quite a whirlwind, yeah. So, because you, in your first book, this collection of short stories, you actually had women doing all sorts of things with their bodies. I mean, wasn't there one story where a woman decides to, incubate an ant farm in <laughs> her body. That, that happens.
3: <laughs> that happens.
0: Another who sells sex in, on, was it the moon or Mars? I can't remember now.
3: Right. She uh, she works for, she's a sex worker for a, a game show and um, the winner of the game show gets to have anal sex with her on the moon. Oh, God. What, what so were you playing with
0: in that, that book? <laughs> what, what themes were you playing with in, in terms of, women's relationship mm-hmm. to their bodies in that first, that first collection mm-hmm. of short stories?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I guess sort of where, um, I, I'm very fittingly, I suppose, uh, at a midpoint, right, um, I, you know, I, I, I agree that I, I think, you know, th- theoretically it, it, it should be, you know, an, an equal sort of transaction between men and women, but because of the patriarchy and the misogyny in our society, I don't see that equality being possible right now, you know, and, and I mean I think you you clearly would, would kind of know better than, than I, but you know, just having, you know, all of all of the all of the acquaintances I, I know who are sex workers talk a lot about the social stigma that they receive. And that stigma isn't given to the male buyers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean they have very, you know, sort of famous, you know, uh, clients in in sort of you know our our, our town and our government, and um, you know, if the scandal were to come out, um, no, know, you know, sort of, she would be plastered, you know, around and, and judged, um, the woman would. You know, the man, maybe it's a, a little, you know, dirty, you know, secret to like another news story comes along, but he could go on, I mean, if he you does. look, I'm from, I'm a Yang from the States, so if you look at Bill Clinton and Monica yeah. Lewinsky, Bill Clinton is doing wonderful, um, you know, he, he goes around, you know, he tours, he gets, you know, $400,000 a speech. Monica Lewinsky, I mean, she went into hiding, you know, she feels like her life is ruined, You know, I mean, these are the social politics. Um, You know, I I have no, you know, problem whatsoever with, you know, consenting adults, um, you know, having sex, and I, I, you know, I I think that that women should be allowed to do whatever they want with their body. What concerns me is I don't feel like this is an equal playing field in our society where women say, you know, I I have this right and you're going to respect me. Um, No, you look at female, you know, porn stars even, and, you know, trying to sort of go on and and change their life. They're stigmatized forever. Um, you know, at least in American society. I mean, always, you know, this, this follows them in, in a way that even male porn stars um, don't quite get that. They, they get crossover, um, you know, I mean, they, they can go and become, you know, actors in these big-budget movies. Um, I, I don't feel like it's equal.
0: Lydia Cacho, your perspective mm-hmm. on, on that, the, 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 because what, what, what has occurred is very interesting, and it's, em, em, it's uh, embodied here on our panel that you have uh, feminists uh, both and Kaiser will have a different point of view here, but you have feminists who are, are fighting for, as uh, Jules is, for uh, prostitution mm-hmm. in support of sex workers and women as agents of their own bodies to sell the service of sex and then you have feminists who say, who are fighting like you, mm-hmm. against the sex slave industry and Kaiser against prostitution. How do, you, how do you see that kind of broad... Listen,
1: I, I, I think that in, in this kind of panels or in most of uh, public discussions, it's very easy to uh, get stuck in, in an extremist discussion because human beings try to do that all the time. You're either for or against. Mm. And you're never contextualizing your discussion, right? So um, that worries me a lot. I am a feminist, I've been a feminist since I was a, a little girl. My mom was a feminist psychologist and a sexologist and I grew up in a context of, of understanding what, what violence against women is and how we normalise that and how we, we see it and how some women do understand what violence is and some don't, same as men of course. Um, so. I think it's, it's, um, it's delusional, again, I, I have to use that word, to think that you can surgically separate prostitution as, as, as you just did from trafficking in general. Of course, in many, many cases, uh, here's one, there's a woman that is making a choice and it's very clear to her and that uh, we should obviously all respect that. Um, some would like to respect it, some would not, but we should because it's human rights, right? But but then on, on the other hand, we have all these women that come from a context of, of extreme violence. Uh, I will try to make this very quick, but in my investigation for five years, I, I interviewed hundreds of uh, sex workers and prostitutes around the world. And the first um, day of interviews uh, had, a lot to do with their work and if they thought they had a choice, if they recognised that choice and how they made it, right, in which context they made it. And the second day of interviews had to do with their childhood and the way they lived um, within the context of their community and their society and the relationship with men, for example. And um, I have um, hard numbers um, of how many of them were abused, raped, And they live through, uh, as a lot of us have. I was raped 18 years ago because I was doing my job and Mm -hmm. a guy didn't like it. So um, uh, some of them have been suffering, going through all these kinds of violence. And that's gender violence, right? And sometimes you do normalize it. Sometimes you don't. So we have to go through all these stages. We need to go back to the discussion. Of course, as individuals, it's great to have you here. Of course. You know, it's a shame you had to trick us into that instead of just <laughs> saying, yeah, it, no, it is, it yeah. is, I have to say it. We did try it's to great. get on the panel. <laughs> no, yes, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get in But but this is, this, is, this is the kind of things we must do, you know, mm-hmm. to discuss this. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it has a lot to do with, if you speak like singular "us," each victim, it's easier. But what about saying when you have to pass law or legislation, how many of the women within the sex uh, industry are there truly free and willingly? Those are the questions. I do not have the answers, of course. But this is the I think if you ask anybody,
5: to... do you yeah. not want to work? I think most people would probably say yes. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's just the reality of capitalism, yes, that we mm-hmm. do actually have to work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. within that framework of capitalism, yes. people choose to sex work. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure if you asked anybody, they would say that they wouldn't want to work. I Elizabeth can you, Fasani.
4: Can I, just, I yes. think that there's a really important point here, which is that, you know, you just posited the question as, you know, was some feminists, uh, you know, are, are approving of agency and etc., and some are trying to, like Lydia, are trying to wipe out child trafficking. What, that's not a, an opposition. Mm. I don't think anyone in this room, I hope no one in this room would say, oh, absolutely, we believe that you ought to be able to traffic underage kids. And, uh, you know, no one's saying that. The problem is, I think, that by conflating, and, and I don't think that, that Jules or anyone else would say, um, you know, because I choose to sell sex, we ought to have no safeguards against trafficking or anything else. That's a, a complete... Completely, the polarized um, debate that, that Lydia is describing, and it's not helpful. I think the important thing to focus on is how do we effectively address the trafficking, the forced sex, the slavery, which does exist. No one's denying that. And the way of effectively, of of addressing it most effectively is not to drive the whole consenting part of the prostitution industry underground. Because it makes it more difficult to tackle the real abuses. That's a very interesting
0: point you make. And I do want to pick it up with Lydia. Because Lydia, you write write about, well, one, the industry, the, sla- the sex slave industry, yeah. modernising yeah. and co-opting um, some of the arguments that so- some feminists make in support of prostitution. Right. Absolutely. So that's interesting. And the other thing uh, that's interesting it's just slipped my mind. It's just slipped my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's been. just slipped my mind. But they it was re- relevant to that as well. And so that that's interesting, isn't it? That that, that these these conversations are now. Being co-opted by the people perpetuating the industry themselves.
1: Yes, of course, and it's quite it's quite difficult to to explain this in a book, for example, mm. because of course when you speak with individual um, activists for sex work in the world, including Mexico, we are going through the same discussions exactly as in the U.S. and in everywhere around the world. Um, and some individuals that are trying to clean um, the sex industry from uh, trafficking and, and violence are, are seeing the world from their perspective, right? And saying, I'm not a victim of anything. And that is fine dandy. But what, I, what happened is I dressed up as a prostitute, and I, I went around the world. I, I infiltrated um, brothels from Dominican Republic to Cuba, to Mexico, to the US to Japan and everywhere for five years. And what happened was I talked to a lot of the, the, the owners of these places. I talked to young ladies. I talked to, uh, to the madams that were training the, the women and show, teaching them how to dress and all this. And I'm, I'm speaking, I'm talking about the industry in itself, a fancy industry in the nuts, so fancy industry. And what I found is that um, a lot of these people of the owners of some of these brothels are putting a lot of money into lobbying in local politics, so that is a fact. I'm not saying it's happening everywhere, and I'm not saying all individuals are doing it. This is something that we have to bring to the table when we discuss these issues, because it makes it more complex, of course. They are protecting their interests. It's like the pornography industry. We all know now how how many millions the pornography industry is putting into legislation everywhere around the world in order to allow pro- pornography. That's so this right. is so just that, that's yeah, the intention Attention, you reveal that in yeah. fact,
0: you know, some say that if you uh, ban prostitution, that will promote the sex slave trade. Others say that, uh, well, that the sex slave industry you've you've documented this is dependent on prostitution. It uses yes, as it a, as works, a mask. It works hand in hand, you know? um,
1: Kaiser. As you're listening,
2: I know you've got, you would be sitting on your hands if you could. There's lots that you would like to add at this point. Um, yeah, I want to come back to the point about conflating, as you both were saying, trafficking and prostitution. I think here we have to understand how capitalism actually works. Um, if you look at what industries there is trafficking for, you know, for example, in academia, there's no trafficking, you know, to to bring academics. To there's lots of exploitation. Obviously. I can take <laughs> Um, Because obviously there are enough people lining up to get those jobs. And actually as unemployment is rising all over the West, you know, and most jobs have a line of hundreds or thousands of people lining up to get these jobs. Um, the cost of trafficking, the cost for, you know, a pimp or a trafficker to go to another country, you know, uh, pick up a woman, make her go over there, pay her a ticket and, you know, kidnap her and feed her and everything, you know, you would cut that cost if you could. Of course, the industry would love for trafficking to disappear. It's a cost. It doesn't matter. What about the two that. women,
0: the Chinese women, that, that Elizabeth um, facilitated in some way? <laughs> I
2: mean, they where was their cho- you know they appeared to be making a choice well i don't i don't know about these chinese women you know i'm t- i'm looking at it from a broader perspective seeing why trafficking happens mm. and the point is of course that you have a lot of demand for prostitution you know as i was saying if one in four you know of the german men want to buy sex, you know? Where are all these women going to come from? Germany is a kind of rich country, so there aren't enough women lining up. You know, you don't, and also you're worn out very fast in the industry, you know? I I have a lot of... Facts in my book, for example, of the high abuse rate, of the high mortality rate, which is another reason why I would say you cannot compare it to any other job. Because in prostitution, the mortality is 40 times higher than for women outside of prostitution, Um, according to an American study that I quote in my book, which you can look at afterwards if you wonder. um, The point of that is there's no other job that has these statistics, which is why I think the the comparison with another job is just, you know, kind of out of place to me. Um, But I would say, you know, looking at how fast you're worn out in the industry and also looking at what you were saying that you always want younger girls and, you know, you want them fresh, you know. I mean, and that's also the thing, if you would actually, take it as if it was a normal job. You would have to apply um, the law that I suppose you have here too, but you can't discriminate uh, in the working place, gender and age. So, you know, the buyer then would be faced with, you know, I want to buy sex. Okay, here's like a 60-year-old fat man, you can buy sex from him. You know, I don't know how many would be interested in that case, you know. <laughs> so. Um, so obviously he wants young fresh girls and, and you know the more virgin and the less experience to you have. Fat men in the audience. I just <laughs> make sorry, the sorry. Yeah, a sorry.
0: Sorry, sorry. There
2: is a place called I'm sure I'm that, a yeah, I'm sure
0: there'll
2: be a buyer for place Yeah, I'm sure there'll be a buyer for him too, you know, but maybe not that many. Um, You know, so so seeing that, you know, basically, I mean, I've seen in Australian newspapers that you actually have ads to work in the adult industry and it says no experience required all the time. You know, what kind of job is that? Most jobs actually say you have to have experience, right? I mean, the more experience you have, the better. In this job, you say, no, it's better that you don't have experience. So, I mean, basically my point is that you don't have enough supply of young women coming voluntarily to the industry in any rich country. You have to get them from somewhere to supply, you know, all that satisfy that demand. That's where trafficking comes in. A sex industry without trafficking would be very small, very small. It wouldn't be the scale that it is now. And that's why I argue that we have to look at the range, not separate things. Okay. Uh, quick pick up from you, Lydia, and then I, I want to come They're to audience quick. questions.
1: It just it just uh, called my te- my attention because when I interviewed the clients in the in, in the brothels around the world, uh, specifically in, in Latin America, in Colombia, in Argentina, in, in in Dominican Republic, in those brothels, I saw a lot of European and American men, and um, as I said before uh, in the morning talk, but uh, some of them are like married and you know doctors and professionals etc and when I ask them why they go to brothels looking for very young women uh, not not girls but eighteen seventeen twenty twenty two years old tops uh, what they said the way they describe the woman they want to have sex with it 's very important in this discussion because that 's exactly what she 's saying is um They are looking for women who have no agency. It's the voices of the clients. I'm not making this up. This is the clients. They told me, "I want. We like Latin women. We come here because they are submissive. They are obedient. They know who rules. You know who 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 is the boss in bed." So, I document this and I have yes. audio tapes of these guys talking. So, this is this is also an issue.
4: We can the take discussion. it you're an atypical Latin woman, hey, Lydia? Jules,
0: Jules just very briefly, if you can, your perspective on, on what uh, Lydia's just said there. And then sure. I, I want to come to the audience. Look,
5: all the research in Australia, in particular for migrant sex workers, have dispelled that myth of the young Asian sex slave. Like, all the research has demonstrated, in fact, most migrant sex workers are 30 or over, and that's often because they've had a lived experience in their home country prior to coming to Australia. So, in fact, it's not the case, I've been in the sex industry for over 20 years, I'm over 40, you know, like, it's not the case that it's this short lifespan or that we get um, burnt out and worn out. It's, and in fact, it's a skilled occupation. And the, the longer you're in the sex industry, the more money you actually make um, because you, your skills grow like in any other occupation. You know, so I, absolutely the, the research dispels that myth of the, the young um, sex slave. And I think, you know, the people that you were speaking to are probably more the exception than the rule.
1: I don't think so, but I respect your opinion.
0: Let's just open it out to all of you, shall we? <laughs> uh, thank, yep, someone's waiting and ready to go. And there's a microphone up there as well. And you'll need to go to the mic, um, you will need to go to the mic. So, yep,
6: OK, thank you. I find the statistic that one in four men, German men, use prostitutes very interesting. I'd be curious if anyone knows the Australian statistic. But if selling sex and sex trafficking is such an issue, can you elaborate a bit more on why men feel the need to buy sex? Is there not an enough supply of women in the general population? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
0: That's a great question. Yes. Yeah, great question. And I think
4: person. we should ask some of the guys in the audience yeah. to Yeah. Uh... Um, So, please do take the microphones.
0: Don't be shy. Um, Is that a question question. for me? Yep,
4: Uh, it's a question for
0: whoever wants to
2: take it. So, line up behind the mics upstairs and there. Thanks. I um, I don't know the Australian statistics at all, maybe somebody here knows it. Um, I just find it fascinating, you know, that people are saying prostitution is always going to be around, you know, will never disappear, it's the oldest profession in the world and so on. But it's never constant, you know, it's never constant, the number of, of men paying for sex. In Sweden, prior to that we passed the law, it was um, one in eight men was paying for sex. You know, we never had, like, legal brothels either, so it wasn't that big of a sex industry. You know, it's not like Germany where you walk down the street and there's brothels, strip club, like, all over. Mm. But um, um, now it's like one in 13 men paying for sex. So it's gone down. So you see this changes according to the the norms in society. I think some men just pay for sex because it's there. Like they're walking down the street and they're drunk and they see a brothel I think, why not? You know, it's socially accepted, it's a fun thing to do. Um, I know there are some countries like in Southern Europe before Fathers used to bring their sons, you know, virgins to have their first experience in a brothel because they were scared otherwise they're going to turn gay if they don't, you know, get it fast. That was the, yeah, that was the tradition, you know, which has disappeared now. You don't do that anymore. Mm.
1: In Mexico they do.
2: Yeah. Elizabeth.
4: (coughs) I think. That um, men buy sex for uh, a number of reasons, and, and one of the things I think J- Jules just said, you know, sex work is actually a, a skilled op- occupation that goes a lot further than just spreading your legs. So, you know, of my friends who are sex workers, a lot of them, um, you know, sex work is a very good way of paying for your increasing school fees now, um, university fees. A lot of people who are doing psych degrees, <laughs> um, and yeah, there you go, um, are in sex work. You, it's about, it's about. Religion relationship counseling it's about grief counseling um, there's a specialty a subsection of the sex industry which is about providing services to people with disabilities for example who just want to be the, the sex is not the important part of it Touch. often yeah want to be touched want to be to have a sympathetic interaction some people pay shrinks other people pay sex workers for, you know, sometimes uh, much the same services. So it's not all about sex. You know, I can't, uh, I can't speak for men, um, you know, I can't, uh, and I certainly can't speak for, for clients of sex workers. But, but I think that, um, you know, there's a range that's more than just getting your rocks off. Alyssa, what do you think?
0: <laughs> Why do you think men
4: pay for sex?
3: Oh, I mean, all sorts of reasons, um, you know. But, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess my my sort of. Uh, primary interest then, you know, comes in in sort of the the social reception, right, of of this service. That why is there not this enormous stigma to men who are paying for sex, and why is this enormous stigma to women, you know, yeah. when they're legally providing, you know, yeah. like the service that men are clearly enjoying? Yeah, mm.
4: Can I just to the question of um, whether, you know? We'll, is there, you asked a question um, that was partly about what well, the availability of sex in society elsewhere, and I will say um, that we have seen, uh, particularly in, in the Southeast Asian countries that I've studied um, for for some years now, over the last 15 years or so, there has been a shift in um, consumption of commercial sex. There's been a reduction in consumption of some commercial sex as the, um, as, people are more able to have or more more young women are willing to provide sexual services for free. So the services? more guys have... The, yeah, the, it's all a transaction. The more guys are able to have girlfriends who put out, and in many countries in Southeast Asia, that's put a really... I wouldn't call it's it's having true. sex that's
2: putting out. <laughs> I wouldn't... When I'm having sex, I'm it's not providing services it. or putting out, you know? I mean, I find these terms kind of... Yeah, you know, I'd it's see, not like we're doing them a favour, you know, we're doing it for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
5: But, and and, and, and also, be because it's a, it's a sex, because you're a sex worker, it doesn't mean, you know, this equation that, you know, you do, it's the equation between somebody who doesn't want to have sex and somebody who does. That's not necessarily the case. And, and just to be clear as well, I think people are kind of misled about what a sex work booking looks like. It's a very small proportion of that is actually sex. You know, like a lot of that is about intimacy, about talking. You know, and it, it's it's as Elizabeth said, a lot of it is is um, all these
2: other things, not um, well. Look, I mean, I I personally—I was kidnapped by a pimp in Amsterdam when I was 16. He didn't want to talk to me. He didn't offer me a job. You know, I mean, I've been around for too long to kind of—and
0: I have to say, reading Lydia's
2: book, you just get
0: a very different impression of some Mm. of the stories of young girls. There ain't no talking going on. Absolutely, there's exploitation that
5: happens. I absolutely am not denying that. It's like with any industry. There's good and bad
0: workplaces. There's good and bad bosses. It's like any. Job. Okay. Let's grab some more questions. Thank you. We've got two there. Come on down. And, yep, thank you.
6: Hi. Um, my name's Zara and I am a sex worker uh, and I've worked in the sex industry for 10 years. And to reference the title of the panel, um, I am not for sale. I sell my services. I do not sell my body. And I think there's a perception sometimes that in sex work, everybody who works in the industry is heterosexual and a cisgendered Female, Um, And I certainly have worked with people of a range of different sexualities and ages and genders and body types and abilities. And to speak to the question earlier in terms of the percentage of uh, men who have paid for sex in Australia, Roberta Perkins' research uh, from the 90s shows that it's 16% of men uh, have purchased sex in Australia. And in terms of the reasons in which people may uh, uh, seek sexual services, there was a great documentary called Scarlet Road that some of you may have seen on SBS last year about uh, Rachel Watton providing services to people with disability. Mm. Um, A lot of my work has been in the feminist porn movement, which is a movement which focuses on feminism, queer theory, critical race studies, disability activism, uh, in order to produce work that has ethical production values and diverse representations, and I'm very lucky. In terms of sex work, to have worked in New South Wales, where sex work is decriminalised, and it's one of the only two places in the world in which it's decriminalised, and it has been since 1995. And the catalyst was that there was a Wood Royal Commission, which showed that police were systemic. Uh, there was systemic police corruption when police were regulators of brothels. So, do you think
0: your experience is typical?
1: That no, is good.
6: I think there is no typical experience of sex work. But I think when we, you know, these ideas that sex work is exploitation, um, that's not new. But it is a dangerous idea. Um, This premise has been refuted consistently and yet it gains traction in a political environment that is very anti-sex work because whorephobia is something that's fashionable. It's something that gains credentials. It's something uh, that has currency at the moment. But in my experience, sex workers are looking for rights. They're not looking for rescue. And there's actually a lot of research now from Laura Augustin and Elizabeth Bernstein, which talk about this rescue industry as middle-class professional women carving out a sphere of employment for themselves by rescuing working-class women. And yet, those people don't have to deal with the stigma and it's not actually benefiting sex workers at all. OK. So my question is to Jules, uh, and I'd just like to know, um, and you know each other. We just yeah, need to be transparent do about Jules, this. Yes. Yeah,
0: Good. So you're both involved in the scale of the lives? Yes. OK. We, and
6: we're both individual sex workers okay. and colleagues, yes. All right. So what's the question? Um, my question is, I w- I'd like to hear more about the research on migrant sex work in Australia. I think, I feel what that we've covered that. What the statistics show? I, f- I do feel and that we've covered that. And what are sex workers asking for?
0: OK. Say that again, say that last one again, if you can.
6: What are migrant sex workers asking for? What would be uh, okay. a better approach to right. trafficking? All
0: right, so I'm, I'm not going to come
6: straight to you on that
0: because that's a lot, it's, it's a question that you've kind of arranged beforehand. So, but I will come so back to it. You. But I think you were, you were umming and ahhing during no, that.
1: No, no, I just was thinking that it would be a good idea so next year organisers can invite, the Sex Workers Alliance to have a panel so each person can choose and know exactly what kind of a discussion it would be. And it would be wonderful. I think that that's necessary. No?
0: Fair enough. I, I just don't think we can, we can necessarily come to that question because it's been pre-arranged. It just seems sort of. Unfair and we fair to me, and we've, we've, Sorry,
6: we've kind That of wasn't prearranged. that was yeah. based on the discussion that's being had. Was it? Right. Okay, yeah, okay awesome.
0: cool, all
4: right. Thanks for that clarification. Yeah. So um, uh, can I, j- I just... Can I just say in th- about the trafficking industry. Sure. So um, that you made a point about there being a trafficking industry of, of or an anti-trafficking industry of middle class women who are choosing to to rescue other women. You know, if we're going to make a point about, women being allowed to do the jobs that they choose to do, I don't think we can diss people who choose to do that job either. OK.
0: But all of you have, uh, just in the last minute that we've got, unless there's a question up there, all of minute. you have, have um, thought rather a lot about what might shift the dynamic that some of you are concerned about here. And, and some of you start with women and empowering girls. And some of you start with men and, having a conversation with them about the way in which they think about their erotic lives. Um, so can we, can we come to that and why you think that's relevant to this conversation? Lydia or oh. Kaiser, or Alyssa <laughs> or Jules or Elizabeth, well, go for it. I, uh, I'll
1: take it. Um, I th- I, I've seen some projects in Latin America and particularly in Mexico uh, working with, with the boys With teenage um, kids and with boys 10 years old, from 10 to 15, uh, working on masculinity issues, discussing what it means to be a man. And it's so interesting. Uh, We had this uh, program called I'm Not for Sale in Spanish, No estoy en venta. Um, And um, what we did, we trained um, first university students. Uh, We decided that it would be 50% men and 50% women. And we would explain to them what trafficking is in general, not only sex trafficking, but all kinds of trafficking and what's going on within schools and how Um, teenage uh, boys are picking up girls in school and inviting them, for example, in Cancun, where I live, to boat rides. And once the girls are there, they have to have sex with the boys because they have to pay for being invited to a party in a boat and things like that. So the girls were talking about these things and and talking about coercion. They didn't know exactly what it meant and what it was. So these big discussions um, um, came up to creating a project now these these students have trained other students. Now there's 10,000 students that having like uh, self-training and peer-training amongst them to detect um, uh, sex uh, trafficking within uh, schools that have nothing to do with brothels. And what you see is gender inequality at its worst and you see a lot of uh, sexual violence in schools. So these are some of the issues that I would like to bring to the table too, and these are some of the things we had to talk about uh, before With like glamorising uh, uh, prostitution or sex, uh, mm. sex in, any, in, in any way, you we've, know.
0: We've actually officially finished, but if I could just get a brief comment from you all on that, that topic, if you can. I know that's a very hard ask, but give it a go. Go Yeah, I'll try
2: to be fast. Um, I think the answer is focusing on the buyer, you know. I think we got very stuck in this prostitution debate a long time ago on the seller Mm -hmm. and the eternal, you know, victim versus agent stuff, Mm -hmm. which I actually find kind of misunderstood because, Um, A victim, I mean, nowadays you're supposed to think that you can decide if you want to be a victim or not, like I refuse to be a victim, but if you look in the dictionary actually, um, the definition of a victim is somebody um, who, you know, is abused or falls victim to a perpetrator. So it's not about what you do, it's about what somebody else does to you. You know, the victim of a plane crash, it's not about your attitude, you know, whether you're a victim of a plane crash or of a robbery or of a rape, you know, it's about that other person or that other thing that happened to you. You know, so I think, That, you know, dichotomy is just, you know, we should just leave that behind and focus instead of the perpetrator or of the buyer or of the other person that's actually driving this whole industry, you know. And I'm just hoping for a world and actually I think we're, most of us are already living in a world without prostitution because most men don't even pay for sex. Most people are living in relationships where they're actually um, having mutual sex for free because they both like it. You know, if you look at patriarchy, the basis of oppression of women has always been sex and reproduction, where we're taught to, you know, sexuality is for others, um, having babies is for others, uh, about the surrogacy industry that we didn't get to talk about now, but... um, um, And I'm looking, you know, forward to a world where women can actually look at our own desires and have sex on our own terms because we want it and have children because we want to have children, you know, not for other people. Alyssa, Mm -hmm. thank you.
3: Yeah. Yes. And, and I mean I, I, I would really just like to see sort of uh, you know, equality socially in, in terms of respect um, given to men and women. Uh, just the, the whole idea of you know um, girls and women you don't take home to mother and, and the idea that, that sort of you know, if you are a sexual woman, you are you know, sort of relegated um, you know, to, to certain factions depending on how you express your sexuality or, or what you choose to do with your own body, um, I think is vile.
5: Yeah. yeah. Thanks, and I think whorephobia is actually an extension of that slut-shaming that happens in society, absolutely. Um, I just want to say just, I think, you know, decriminalisation of sex work is what we need. I mean, regardless of the choices, regardless of what you might think about sex work and your moral judgments, you can't deny the fact that we're all entitled to our rights, you know, and our right to choose. I could never imagine being a lawyer. I would never deny your right to become a lawyer, you know, it's just about, you know, speak to a sex worker, you know, everyone makes these assumptions without actually ever even speaking to a sex worker. Just keep an open mind, don't make judgments about us. And, you know, the idea that because of trafficking you have to criminalise all of sex work is, is ludicrous because, you know, it's like saying because domestic violence happens in marriage, we should arrest all husbands and ban all marriage. It doesn't make sense. Thanks, Jules.
4: <laughs> Elizabeth. I don't think I've ever said this before, but I have nothing to add to the conversation. <laughs> Look,
0: thank you all. Uh, we, it was a conversation that could have gone in many different directions because of uh, the uh, surprise, we took it down the sex work path. And uh, thank you very much, Lydia Cacho, uh Kaiser uh, Eckers Alyssa Nutting, Jules Kim and Elizabeth Pisani. Thank you.